This is the Garden Cinema Film Talk, presented by Michael Chambers and Abla Kandalaft. We chat with filmmakers, actors, producers and film commentators about the art of film. We talk about the films they made, how they made them and the ones they'd like to make. This week, Michael and I are delighted to welcome Jose Arroyo on the podcast. Jose is Associate Professor in Film Studies at Warwick University. We invited him to mark our upcoming Penelope Cruz season and to talk more generally about the actress, Almodovar and Spanish cinema. Thank you very much, Jose, for joining us. You've got quite an interesting take on some of his films. You're quite critical about certain films. I listened to your review of Parallel Mothers. Right. Um, and it was a very rich review. And you're not sure about, if I'm right, about the tone of it, if it quite achieves what it sets out to do. Yes, I, I, I'm afraid I'm in the minority of people who didn't feel it worked. Though there was also a, a distinction between Spanish critics and critics abroad. Spanish critics had much more problems with it. Oh, yeah. Because of the way it was treated. Because, you know, so the, the film's intent is to reveal it, yeah? But on the other hand, it kind of couches it in this middle of the film that takes up 80% of it, and that kind of allegorizes it. So did they feel it wasn't given enough weight or seriousness? They felt that there were almost two films, and if you're really making a film, you know, about acknowledging the past and kind of, you know, acknowledging the Civil War and taking care of it properly and so on, then what do you need that 80, you know, minute sequence in the middle for? Yeah, and I imagine the right wing in Spain was rather unhappy about this. Well, yes, I mean, that's that's another question. That's another question, because they hate everything. They hate everything. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's... Yeah, no, that might be it. Yeah. You're talking more about the liberal and left. Yes, you know, kind of... uh, um, yeah, I mean, with the right wing, there's they just hate him. Period. Really. Well, that's that's. I can imagine there must be so. Yes. But tackling this subject of the Franco years and the the massacres and so on, it needs to have a film to itself. It needs to be about that. You can't drop it into a, a romantic comedy. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. But it must be said that. You know, there hasn't really been a film about that yet, and there are reasons, right? So, you know, you do need to allegorize or have a delicate... So perhaps that was as far as he could really go on... Yes, I I mean, I did wonder that, uh, and he had been working on it for a very, very long time. And clearly, I'm in the minority because it's been a huge success. I liked it. You liked it, yeah, Parallel Mothers. I liked it, but compared to a film like Volvera, Yes, or talk to her. Yeah. You know, films like those, which are, you know... Though, you know, I do think he's a truly great filmmaker, so even something that, you know, like Parallel Mothers is of interest for many, many reasons. Not the least of Penelope Cruz, who was fantastic. Well, in a way, Parallel Mothers, there was more skill in the the, uh, grave issue, the, 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 the small, the beginning and end. Yes. There was more skill, especially in the ending, than it was ever shown in the long middle section. Though I also didn't like the ending, you see, but that's maybe more for personal reasons. Why is that? What the ending did 
is it brought together all the people who've been fighting for the issue, who've had relatives. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas my feeling is the whole village should have come together, right? Because actually, I think, you know, it's now been like four or five generations, right? So, you know, we're all of mixed parentage, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there must be very few people who can say, I come only from, you know, yeah. a Republican family, or I come, mm-hmm. on, yeah? You know, it would have been great had the film convinced, and therefore the whole village comes to mark. In other countries, like, I mean, I think in Britain, well, you'd have to go back maybe to Mosley, but he didn't, he didn't run the country. No, no, he, he didn't have Except, well, that's what I'm saying, but Mosley was the fascist leader. Yeah, yeah, but he... Uh, it's easy for us yes I mean what makes me angry in Spain is that people did have it you know so this romanticizing of it because the thing about that type of personal fascism is like the insecurity of it was that you didn't know so you could break the law one day and nothing would happen and the next day, you just happen to, I don't know, throw a paper on the floor or something, and you get beaten up and jailed. And, like, you know, your family has to pay a ransom for you. So, so like, the... What's happened with the, the Catholic Church in Spain? How does it deal with the Franco years? It supports them. It, it, it uh, praises still, them. It still does. Yeah, I mean, the, the Opus Dei organization is still very, very powerful in Spain. Yeah. A lot of the education, a lot of the private education is still done through Catholic schools. Yeah. So I think... I think there's been a loss. I mean, the the faith in Spain was always kind of coercive, you know. So, for example, you needed a priest's recommendation to get a job. You need a baptism certificate. Uh, so, so people have lost their faith. Yes, people are not going to church, you know, because they don't have to. Whereas before, you had to, <laughs> right? So, but I, but that hasn't lessened the, the institutional power or the economic wealth. To get back to the season. Yes. I have a question for you, Michael. Why specifically Penelope Cruz and, for example, not to season about um, Almodovar films? What is it about her as an actress that you wanted to focus on? Well, an Almodovar season would have been um, probably better, and we can do it. I mean, this, you know, one doesn't preclude another, and we'll develop seasons for years. We haven't yet done a director's season, they've been actors' seasons. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you think, well, Almodovar is so present. Why would you do a retrospective on him? Everyone knows his films, right? Like, on the other hand, I mean, I do think that there are elements that, uh, well, there are films that have been shown more than others, and there are ways of showcasing them, yeah. you know. If we go back to his old films, there's a lot to show. And, and, and that you could directly address at a contemporary gay, trans, you know, yeah. like feminist audience, I mean, uh, uh, Labyrinth of Passion and what have I done to deserve this I mean yeah. I saw Labyrinth of Passion in Madrid when I was first encountering his films in a cinema and it was like the Rocky Horror Picture Show everyone knew the lines they were voicing them they were completely participating in the screening you know it's kind of like a completely different way of yeah seeing those works that now seem a bit rough and crude and you know because yeah. you wrote cool. the introduction to the his early 16 millimeter film I did all the introductions to the first the box set That's of it. DVDs. That's yeah, right. so yeah. I think uh, uh, Pepe Luthibon. Pepe Luthibon. Yeah. I mean, those are that's fabulous. And actually, the film is a record of, you know, the, the underground art scene in Madrid, yeah. you know. Because what happened is after Franco died, <laughs> because there's been so many, like, nobody believed anything, right? So... 
you know, there was an explosion yeah. of like pornography and drugs and, yeah. you know, all the things that had been forbidden before, right? And kind of people didn't quite know how to deal with them. So, you know, heroin addiction in Madrid, yeah. like yeah. just mushroomed and lots of people died as a result yeah. of that. And then, of course, lots of people died of AIDS, often through shared needles. And they're all in these films because there were all these young people making art together, right? Some in bands. But how, you were too young to know this, really. Well, I was too young to know that and I lived in a foreign country. Yes, oh. I, <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in Canada. You know, I was always like, we, we did go back every summer. But I have that kind of relationship to it, which it's always a bit removed. Yeah. So, I mean, I got excited by Amadova seeing his films at the Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> I went to interview him, you know, like before he got really big. So he lives in this little flat, the kind of, you know, where he did most of his work. And he was obsessively rewinding. You know, Written on the Wind, he had the scene where, Mary, where the father, the daughter has been brought in by the cops. You know, and uh, the father goes up the stairs and she's dancing wildly. Yeah, and then he has a heart attack on the stairs and tumbles over. <laughs> and he kept watching that over and over and over and over again. <laughs> have, you, have you read his novels, The Fire and the Gut? Yes, uh, yeah, Fuego en las Entrañas, that's right. Uh, I have, um, I mean, you know, they're very camp. That's all I can yeah. say about them. Uh, I'm not surprised that he made movies and. I think he considers himself a writer, but, you know, he's someone who writes with a camera for sure. Would you say he's not just unique, but way out in his difference from every other filmmaker? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think, you know, you could see his filmmaking style as, you know, indebted to Hitchcock uh, and Buñuel and John Waters and very much Douglas Sirk. Yeah, like that kind of glossy melodrama. You know, the reason why his films are funny or why they're popular is because he always grounds them in a kind of common sense, you know? So you have... I mean, the thing about his films... In his early films, if you remember, his mother would always come out. And she just spoke like a Spanish peasant. I mean, I'd hear my aunts and her expressions and her voice. It was like, really, you know, get on with life. And So then you can have drag queens and you can have, you know, people who... Yeah. who go to Paris and get their tits and fuck with their father, whatever. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, so he would always, like, his early films have these wild stories, yeah. but the emotional exchanges are always grounded in a kind so, of... Yeah. And you always have, like, and what have I done to deserve this? You know, I mean, the mother, you can completely understand her and where she's coming yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really emotionally legible. But, of course, the situation is... Absurd forging Hitler's diaries, <laughs> selling her son to the dentist, <laughs> like all of that stuff. Here's a question. How did you come up with this selection of films? Why this particular selection of films for this season? Well, what what links them together? Showing the uh, parallel mothers. Volver. Uh-huh. All about my mother. I did one of the early Guardian talks with Almodovar. And it's my belief, and he, you know, he agreed with it, that Life Flesh was the film where Penelope Cruz really became an actress. You know, that until then, she'd been a leading lady, incredibly charismatic and beautiful and funny, right? Like, um, but 
you know, it's her role as the prostitute mother in only, you know, it must be 10, 20 minutes in the film that she's in only. But, you know, that she really began uh, as the first film together and so really demonstrated kind of what she could do. You're sharing that early film with, looks like one of the first she made with Javier Come on, come on. Yeah. I mean, that is really Bunrelling. It's a, yeah, it's a melodrama, but it's kind of really crude in a very funny, critical, corrosive yes. way. Yeah. Yes. And it's it's where Javier Bardem does his nude bullfight. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yes, and she's marvelous. I mean, she's so beautiful in that. It's Bigas Luna who uh, there's there's a. a uh, an increase in interest in his work now. There's been a recent retrospectives. He really is kind of, you know, quite a unique filmmaker in Spain as well. He's, he's Catalan. Uh, and he's got this real kind of sensibility where things are crude and exaggerated. Yeah, it's like he did one uh, <laughs> called Golden Balls with Javier Bardem where you have this transition where... Uh, a character is told, well, if you really want to get ahead, you have to marry your boss's wife. And he zips up his pants. You see this construction job going. And before you know it, he's married the, the boss's wife. He's leading a construction company. He's building a skyscraper. And, you know, it's all just like three or four shots dissolved into 10 seconds, right? Is Hamon Hamon his most famous film? Well, this is Hamon Hamon, Golden Balls, and The Tit and the Moon are part of a trilogy. So I and you know maybe the tit in the moon is is uh, uh, was the more successful one though they all were and, and increasingly so. So should we talk a bit more about Almodovar? Sure. It's obviously something. Uh, is it, he's a filmmaker that you're very um, impressed by, and uh, you've devoted time to him. And uh... yes, I mean my initial interest in him was just as a gay man, right? I think I. I think the first film I saw was The Law of Desire. And I was the child of Spanish immigrants. The Spain I knew was rural, poor, illiterate, backward, right? And then all of a sudden to see this film, you know, which was a gay melodrama, yeah, in which everyone was at ease with their sexuality and glamorous and so on. I mean, I just couldn't believe that this was being made in Spain. Because actually no Hollywood film had dared make anything like that at that point. Right, no uh, Canadian film or French film, or you had not seen anything like that before. So that it should come from Spain, really, like you know, it made you think, what's going on? That I'm so. So that was the first interest, was just a, a personal one. And over the years, because it took him a while to become a good filmmaker, he wasn't always. So he always had a sensibility. I mean, I love films like What Have I Done to Deserve This, but it is also quite crude. Yeah. And actually what you see as time goes on is that, you know, he becomes a great filmmaker. I mean, you know, he can tell stories in ways that are very complex, but that seem quite easy and fluid, you know, um, where the camera's always in the right place. Yeah, so so he wasn't always like that. <laughs> Did you see a progression then in terms of his filmmaking? Yes. From those days? That, do you think now it's perhaps a safer type of filmmaking? He's experimenting a bit? No, I think he's very daring still. Uh, I mean, if you see, you know, his, his run of films in the last 10, 15 years, you know, The Skin I Live In, that's a very daring film, right? Talk to Her is a very daring film. It's... You know, I mean, he's always been incredibly brave. 
Yeah, to make a film in which you offer sympathy to the rapist, right? Because that's what happens at the heart of Talk to Her is a rape. And yet, you know, he's not thrown to the wolves. He's not made unknowable. You understand, empathize. Of course, you can't agree. Yeah, so he makes things morally complex and ambiguous in the way that great filmmakers do. I mean, I think Broken Embraces, yeah, which I hope you're showing because I think that deserves a revival. I think it's a truly great film, you know, um, because it's not just a film about the story it tells you. Yeah, but it's a film about cinema. Again, it's a, it's a meta film. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Penelope Cruz, it's hard to say whether she's at her most beautiful in Volver or here, right? Because here they do these kinds of tests with, you know, she has to pretend she's Audrey Hepburn or Marilyn or, yeah. And, you know, she plays like uh, a kind of prostitute named Severine, like Catherine Deneuve in Belle de Jour. And so the film is about, about her, about the, her character, yeah, wanting to be an actress and, you know, uh, uh, but also her affair with this rich industrialist that permits and then blocks that filmmaking. So that's one level of the story. But the other level is, you know, about cinema, right? So there's a wonderful scene where the blind, or the filmmaker who's been blinded by this rich industrialist is told by his caretaker, what can I do to make you feel a bit better? And he says, oh, play me the sound of Jean Moreau's voice, right? Yeah, who thinks that? Well, yeah, it's a really... Yeah, it's a filmmaker who's involved with the whole history of cinema and who's commenting on it and deploying it. But I was interested in your take as someone who knows a lot about Almodovar's filmography. What do you make of this kind of Almodovar, Penelope Cruz, their working relationship? Yeah, I mean, lucky both of them, because I think he's always done that. So, you know, when he began his career, it was Carmen Maura who played the central character in all of those early uh, 80s films. Then from the 90s onwards, it was like Victoria Abril, right, who did that. And in fact, Penelope Cruz says that watching Victoria Abril in Time Me Up, Time Me Down was what made her want to be an actress. And then, of course, you know, there's now this extraordinary run of films uh, with Penelope Cruz he, he hasn't had that kind of relationship with any male except Antonio Banderas. And clearly, he presents her with all of these different challenges because they are, you know, quite extraordinary and extraordinarily different films, right? I mean, in Volver, basically, she's playing a Sofia Loren role. Whereas, I mean, in Parallel Mothers, she's playing a professional woman. And uh, Carne Tremula, you know, she's a, 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 a rural peasant prostitute in Madrid, right? Do you find her always well cast in that role, given this they're always so diverse? I, I do. Uh, and she's done extraordinary things for other people. It's, you know, it's not just... Uh, she hasn't just shone with Almodovar. There's uh, a fantastic film, which now escapes me, by Diego, Diego Dianet, where Victoria Abril and Penelope Cruz play... play angels. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, Penelope Cruz is being punished yeah, by God. She's in purgatory. And Victoria Abril is the good angel. So, so what is the film's idea of heaven? Is to sing samba in a bar in Paris, right? That's Victoria Abril. What's the film's idea of hell? Is, you know, for a gangster, yeah, to have to work as a prostitute and as a waitress 
in real life. That's the character Penelope Cruz plays. <laughs> so she has to evoke the idea that she's a macho gangster, yeah, who's died and is now basically, yeah, in purgatory on his way to hell, being made to suffer what he's... <laughs> it's Diego Yanez, I think. Uh, and I'll... I don't know if to an unknown god, I think. And uh, Fanny Ardant is in it as well. Uh, so she's extraordinary in that. Well, what, what I would recommend, <laughs> you know, is to show a program of contemporary, uh, of young contemporary Spanish filmmakers. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but this year they won all the awards, basically. I was reading in El País yesterday, uh, you know, that this whole, this whole new wave of Spanish filmmakers you know, uh, have been winning all these awards in the festival circuit this year. And there are other filmmakers like Albert Serra and so on who basically have not been shown abroad, right? And yet they're major figures like, uh, you know, Albert Serra was in Cannes, you know, in competition, I think, this year, right? So it's a new group of filmmakers. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, there might be a, a 10-year gap between yeah. them, yeah, but they're, they're part of the same thing. And I think really, you know, quite exciting, Uh much more, much more knowledgeable. Also, I think much more European. It's people who make, you know, who now make a living. Yeah. You know, you do a film from Spain, but you might direct a commercial in Berlin, or yeah. It's the erosion of national boundaries. The French still didn't seem to make French films. I think they they all make Spanish films or Italian films or whatever. But I think the world they inhabit is larger. You know, so. So you often see a film, which is a Spanish film, set in Barcelona, but it will have an episode. In I mean, Berlin is the de facto capital, yeah. you know. So they'll often be in other places. They used to be in London all the time, but no more. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but uh, yeah. So I think I think the flavor of the films. There's a kind of sensibility, a way of of speaking and making sense that remains very local. Yeah. But the world that those the characters go through is just larger. Would you say there's a, something in common they have apart from, well, being European? I I really can't answer that because um, you see, the reason for showing this season is that a lot of these films have not circulated here. Yeah. I live here, yeah. you know, so I only have access to what I can see here, yeah, right. or you know, when I go visit my parents, like you catch what yeah. what you can, you know. So I'm going by what the press is. I mean, but the, the people that I have seen. Uh, 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 you know, are you know something to see, and again, something really different than that previous generation, which I mentioned earlier of Medan, Bias, Luna, yeah, uh, uh, um, and Almodovar. Yeah, it's kind of uh, and Albert Serra is definitely one of the most talked about kind of young filmmakers. Actually, a question about Penelope Cruz, uh, maybe for you, Michael, is I noticed most of the films we're showing are. Spanish films made in Spain, not films made in Hollywood. Oh yes, Vicky, Cristina Barcelona, that's it. Yeah. And that'll be have to have to be carefully handled because it's such an anti-Woody thing at the moment. Well, yes. No, I feel the same way, but... <laughs> well, we're sharing it and we'll uh, see what happens. Uh, I mean, I think generally we select films on their merits. A good film goes in. Have you seen the... There's an Italian film that she did quite early on called something like Notte Movere, Don't Move, uh, where she plays a real down-and-out uh, drug addict prostitute. You know, and she's, like, fantastic in that. 
Yeah, and I think she might have won the Best Actress Prize in Venice or something. She, I mean, it was a lauded role. But it's not, it's not a great movie. Yeah, she's great in in the movie. You know, so that might be a reason why it's it's not necessarily a film that has lasted though. Well, it's a question we've we've asked before about Brigitte Bardot. Can you show a film on the strength of the actor or the strength? It has to be a very good film. Well, my view is that a film, if we're showing a film, the film's got to be good. I don't want to show a bad film because it's got a great actor in it. Though sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish because the actor could be so great that the film turns into something else. That can happen, but then you've got a good film. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I felt that way, you know, because I've been in uh, Bologna, in Ritrovato, and they had a Sofia Loren season, and they showed some of her films, which were like, you know, Pan, Amore, A, I think it's Scandal in Sorrento or something like that, the English title, you know. And in a way, it's kind of, you know, quite a basic Italian comedy. But it's got Victoria De Sica and Sophia Loren yeah. both doing farce and both marvelous, right? Yeah. And of course, she's so astonishingly beautiful and that big screen yeah. is like dazzling. Yes, it works both ways, doesn't it? A bad actor can destroy a good film. Yes. Though, again, if you, you know, if it destroys it, then as you say, it's not a good film. Yeah. Yeah. Though, you know, I think one of my colleagues used to have this thing about films that don't play but that are great, you know. So his example was always something like Magnificent Ambersons. Yeah? The ending was destroyed. The film is not complete. It doesn't quite play with an audience yeah, in an immediate emotional way. Disappointing film. Well, I think it's a film that lingers in the mind and that the more you see it, the greater it becomes. Right. It's one of those films that if, if you've heard it's great, then you see it and you go, hmm. Yeah. You know, and then something will stick in your mind that will make you want to see it again. To go back to Penelope Cruz, are there films that where you feel she doesn't play to her strengths? It's hard. It's hard for me to say because I really like her. Yeah, and I find her beautiful, and I find her skills, and I like the way she moves. To me, there are there are films in which I feel she's a bit wasted, and actually, I would say uh, that Almodovar's All About My Mother is a film in which any ingenue could have played that role. She's just a pretty nun, isn't she? Yeah, who's got a few problems with her mother. <laughs> I don't think it's a role that stretches her. I've never seen her be bad, but I've seen her be very bland, like in interna- international co-productions, like Captain Corelli's Mandolin and things like that. I mean, she's one of those people who initially you think, well, it's just a pretty girl, right? Like, it's not to be sneezed at, someone with that kind of beauty. But actually, it's when they grow into... Yeah, the acting, and then surprise you with it. I mean, I do compare her to Sophia Loren because you know Sophia Loren could have had a fantastic career just being beautiful, right? But then the fact that she could play comedy and different kinds of comedy, right? Like she could do pratfalls, you know, she could do farce, she could do sophisticated comedy, yeah, and she could do you know kind of una giornata particolare or two women, right? then that becomes kind of genuinely extraordinary. And I do think that Penelope Cruz is like that. You know, that she's got that that beauty, right? But then she can also kind of do much else. And it is, I think, very rare. So I think it's really only the very greatest, you know, that can, can provide that. And harder still when the women begin as, you know, kind of 
beautiful sex symbols. Or... And then to see them as they get older, what they do. And to see them, you know, kind of what they do as they get older. Again, some people just become, you know, better and better. I mean, Ava Gardner, you know, in her declining years, was wonderful. And her beauty became even more touching, yeah, because it was kind of, because she was losing it. There was something haunting about that. Right. And of course, some people kind of disappear, really. I mean, I was having a discussion with a friend, you know, because we, we were talking about these people who continue to matter. Yeah. And people who just, the culture, I mean, you know, film buffs like me might know them, but who in the culture remembers Lana Turner anymore? Yeah. Who was like almost the, the, the connection to Ava Gardner, right? I mean, they might even have seen Imitation of Life or, you know, or, or something like that. Uh, a postman always rings twice, but they probably won't, wouldn't even be named, be able to name her as a star. Yeah. Well, that's so. funny. Only last week we spoke to Dr. Lucy Bolton, oh, yes. who co-edited a book about lasting Last stars, star, the lasting yes. power of stars, and yes. what makes for 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 lasting stardom. That was yeah. really interesting, and we talked specifically about Marlena Dietrich and yes. and actresses around that time period. That's also kind of you know, interesting. Someone like Dietrich continues to be alive in the culture in all kinds of interesting ways. You know, someone like Garbo, who was so ahead of her all their life in so many different ways, now seems to, you know, just be a figure of the movies, not of the culture, you know. So that's, uh, one can't predict that, I don't. We just have to see whether Penelope Cruz... (laughs) Well, I mean, I think she's very lucky in a way, you know, and she must have been very clever because... I mean, I think we forget now, maybe, the kind of prejudice there was in Hollywood and, by extension, international cinema against Hispanic actresses, which I think is different than Italian or what, yeah? You know, because of the way that what Hispanic means in, yeah, America. So I had a theory, I used to have a theory that people who are Hispanic in the U.S., could never become top stars. Yeah, because, you know, a star is someone that has to signify in the culture, that has to mean something that people have to identify with, right? I mean, somebody like Sidney Poitier's triumph is that, you know, he, yeah, or Denzel Washington, they overcome the racism. And, they had to do that. But they had to do that, right? You know, and my theory is that someone like Antonio Banderas didn't become as big a star as he could have I did see her recently, along with uh, Javier Bardem, in this, to my mind, terrible film about the gangster. You must know it. Bardem plays the drug lord. It was named after the famous gangster. He was a Colombian gangster. Escobar. And it was terrible. And it was in English. And Bardem, you could hardly understand a word he said. Whether he sort of went on strike and said, I'm not cooperating on this rubbish, or um, he finds English very difficult to speak. Well, he, always, he has a very thick accent, though it's gotten much better over the years, yeah. right? Well, in this film, you could hardly understand a word he said. Um, Penelope Cruz, her heart wasn't in it, so she just sailed through it without any effort, and it was terrible. Well, part of the reason why I'm so glad of the existence of the cinema is that things have become very difficult to see. Right, so you know the, the there are few fewer cinemas left. Uh, what they show 
even in the independent uh, cinemas, is is really the mainstream cinema. But to say that those things, you know, do not come your way easily. So I'm not surprised I haven't seen it, though I do see a lot. Well, Escobar is one you That's happily good. forget. <laughs> I, I'm very hopeful about Penelope Cruz having, you know, a career like Simon Signore's or, you know, some of the people who've lasted because, and like Sophia Loren, she's someone who, you know, would make Hollywood films, but she always made Italian films. And I think Penelope Cruz has always made films in Spain, right? She hasn't been worried about the money or the budgets, right? She's gone for the projects and the filmmakers. Well, she does Escobar to pay the bills and then... <laughs> a European film <laughs> for the love of it <laughs> it's a mystery that film is a mystery it was huge budget you could see yeah. the scenes but also I think one of the things about actors careers as well is who cares about the flops like kind of you know what audiences are interested in is the things that delight and mean yeah. and you know and so on the flops don't matter if there's if there's work that compensates for it really and I think with Penelope Cruz's career, there's already a whole string of those films. Well, looking forward to the season then. <laughs> Jose, thanks so much for your time. It's a delightful discussion. This was the Garden Cinema Film Talk. You can find out more about the cinema screenings and seasons on our website, thegardencinema.co.uk, and follow us, send us comments and feedback on our social media, at The Garden Cinema. Thank you for listening.